So out, out of 76, 79 and 81 and your role and the role of others came the organisation that you now lead and, have, and which has done so much work in combating racism and fighting uh, in, often in the courts or helping those who fight in the courts against uh, racist behaviour. So can, can you tell us how, how 81 then led to what you do today? Yeah, so the Southern Monitoring Group um, is formed during, is baptized by this period from 76 to 81. Um, so, you know, people like myself and other people were part of the events in 1976 and 71 and 81. And I remember uh, in a very small room on Hamilton Road in Southall, sitting on in the winter of 1981, it's very cold, and sitting with, you know, um, people together, 10 of us thinking, listen, how do we move forward? We are going to be, we don't want to live a life which is perpetually defensive. We want our kids to grow up. We want ourselves to be treated as humans, we want to develop as people. You know, I've been playing, you know, I, I, I mean, I didn't want to get into working on racism. I, when I was growing up, I was quite a happy-go-lucky kid enjoying sports and <laughs> played cricket and hockey, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, because that's what I was trained to do by my parents and relatives and the wider community outside the Gurdwara in East Lane in Nairobi. So. I, I, you know, I, I was very good at hockey. I was very good at cricket. I was not good at football because we didn't play football that much. So when I, you know, but in Lancashire, I ended up into Lancashire A's for cricket. But that's when I got stabbed, you know. And I play, tried to play hockey wherever I could. I ended, I even joined the Nelson women's cricket hockey team just to play hockey. I was the only <laughs> guy playing with that. This is no hockey, you know, and... and and that's what I that's what I excelled at, and so we wanted not just to be talking about racism. We wanted to build on the gains we had. For us, the eighty-one period in Southall was a victory, not a defeat. You know, we'd gone through a huge, and finally, we thought actually we won something, but it's not going to be recognized as winning. But it's probably a pivotal change for our generation, because people will see that we can defeat something that is much bigger than this. Um, and so we sat down and looked at what, what we wanted to do, and we came to about three or four conclusions. The first was that, and I think it's, we never talk about it, but I think it's really important to understand this. If we want to build towns like Southall or Bradford or Leicester or, um, you know, Brixton or St. Paul's, where migrant communities have ended up and, and become British um, um, black or brown communities. Yeah. What really is important is that people want to have cultural um, uh, access to that community, whether it's the Gurdwaras, religion or music or etc. Uh, yeah. And that's really important, but you can't do that unless you fight for equality and the the battle for equality precedes those cultural battles, you know? So when the Gurdwara was being built in 1965, the struggle against racism has already taken root by our forefathers. And it's yeah. only when you begin to do that struggle for equality, which includes cultural equality, 
that you can actually cement some of the cultural roots in our communities, you know? That's the yeah. first thing we learned. And we, you know, um, we, you know, my background is, you know, for example, the word grow, my surname is Grover, but it's obviously anglicized, but the original term is Guruvar, which is one of the missiles of Nanak Devji when he sent his five missiles to different parts of what was undivided India at that moment to create um, and, expo and export the notion of Sikhism against the caste system, you know, principally. So yeah. the eldest son of our communities became a Sikh who um, a convert or became a Sikh and a practicing Sikh. The issue of the caste had been arise then, that came in obviously the 10th Guruji, you know, yeah. Um, uh, but so our, our kind of um, links are with Nanak Devji right at the beginning. And so before my parents, my parents came to East Africa and right to this country, my father in the morning read the Granth Sahib in the morning from 4 to 4.30 to 5.30 and wow. read other things. So my, I have my father's group, you know, uh, Granth Sahib at home which he read yeah. and read it. So I have, so although I don't wear a turban, that's what our origins are. You know, so I can only, I can only talk about that identity if I feel that I'm able to as a human being and I'm allowed to as a human being, you know? Yes. And you have to fight for that stuff. That was the first thing. It's really, really important, I think, to learn that lesson and how that, how that has come about. The second thing we learned was that if you want to create a movement against racism you can't just lead campaigns just for the sake of it and you think that they will be sustained over a period of time you have to create a service and embed yourself in communities okay whatever that community is maybe a student community it may which is more transient but it could be a geographical community so south pole and black brown areas were key to us so we've always been rooted in areas that we live in, and we are part of that community. So I, I came in 1976. I only moved out last of a couple of years, but I've always lived in South Hall. I have friends here. I'm dying. I'm going to die in South Hall, whatever its achievements or weaknesses are, you know? And, and so you can't talk about racism unless you embed yourself in a community that suffers that injustice or that victimization. So... If I'm fighting for racial equality, and I may be Punjabi or Muslim, or and you can be Muslim and Punjabi or African Caribbean, it's important to speak with a, a truthful voice and a powerful voice, but that credibility only comes by being very pure to the communities that you represent, and you don't lie, and you, and you expose the injustices, uh, etc. Uh, and and your voice becomes powerful if you don't misuse the trust that you have created. That's the second thing we'd learned. The third thing that mm. we learned was that, um, you know, when you look at racism and challenge racism, um, yes, prejudice is really important and, and individual notions of disliking someone or being hateful of someone is one thing and it, it should never be done. But actually the foundation of racism and inequality is from the state, and it actually is derived from the state. And the foundation is dealing with state 
forms of racism and institutional racism. So if the government legitimizes notion of racism, that's much more powerful, more violent, and more dangerous than any prejudice I may have against an individual. Not that it's justifiable, but it's a qualitative different, it's rooted differently and its impact is, is, is huge. So we can't deal with hate crimes unless we recognize systemic forms of racism or institutionalized forms of racism. So yeah. when we started all these campaigns from Chugga to Blay Peach, to the 81 events, and then there are other people to campaigns which people haven't spoken about. Kuldeep Singh Sekhar, who was killed by a taxi driver in 1998 in Cranford, comes from Southall. He was lured, lured by a young racist man um, uh, deliberately and then murdered because he was Asian, okay? And you know what's important about Seiko's murder is the police never saw it as a racist murder, although Stephen Kokoro killed him, was a member of the National Front. Goodness. But more importantly, when his funeral took place on 31st of January 1989 in Southall, <coughs> you know, we managed, I actually went with his family to every single shop in Southall, every single um, bookmaker, every single bank, at his funeral, I have videos of it, every single shop, including the banks, the bookmakers, and anything else closed for four hours. The schools came out. Wow. It's, it's a history in a making. That's the kind of, um, that's the kind of solidarity. That's the kind of yeah. uh, consciousness, the collective memories that has been built in our towns. Um, and I've never seen Southall so quiet until the COVID period in the beginning. It was deserted. And Satan funeral saw shops closed, the schools come out, the factories come out, and even bookmakers being closed. And because they remembered that Satan was no different for Blair Peach or Chagga, you know? And, yeah. and that they wanted to, they wanted to demonstrate that they felt that this could never happen again. But that happened in 1980, 19, 1988, 81. I mean, we succeeded in getting his murderer convicted. Um, but so, you know, it's, I didn't go to the Lawrences. The Lawrences came to the South of Monitoring Group. I've never gone and said, shall we help you? People have come to us because people have found out when somebody's died. So. The family of Ricky Reel, Lakwinda Singh Ricky Reel, you know, in 1997, he'd gone missing. The family got in touch with us for a whole week in Kingston. We know that he'd been in a fight and that he was chased. The police had told us that they'd looked at the CCT cameras. They never did. I went with Sukhdev, his mother, to Bentles at Kingston. Yeah. You know, we his mother found the CCD camera that shows the last images of Ricky. And wow. we, 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 every day, mobilized hundreds of people to search for Ricky. We never thought he would, you know, you know there's always a skepticism we won't find him. But, um, but we never thought he'd died. And we became no. bigger and bigger and bigger. When the police came, the first, and the family reported him, and, you know, instead of saying, 
yes, we'll try and find him. Let's, you know, give us more information. They fell off. You know, they, the police officer's response was to his mother and his father, Balwant and to Sufay was, well, he may be gay. He must have gone out with a boyfriend. He's not telling him. Or he's gone with a girl that he doesn't want to tell him. You know, using that cultural stuff against the family when it's well, so obvious that he's missing and his friends have told him he's missing, you know? So, yeah. And, and so they, when I kept saying, I kept saying to them, look, this is where he's ended up. And I kept saying to the police, I think he's there. I think this is where he's ended up. This is the spot where I think he's there. And when they finally listened to us seven days later on the 21st of October, you know, it took them four and a half minutes to find his body because that's exactly where he was. And it doesn't you know, take two years to find out what his movements were if you know the area of Kingston. And then, and then they tried to, um, you know, denigrate the mother for having a campaign. Yeah. They, the same coroner that did the Blair Peaches coroner was the coroner who did the Ricky Reels case, you know? Oh, wow. And uh, he made his, he tried his best to get um, an accidental verdict. Yeah. And he even suggested, because he knew me from the Blair Peaches that, that I should be arrested for having a campaign. It's just, it's mind-boggling that, and, you know, and, and then the indignity that we find out a couple of years ago that the, the police, instead of helping the family find uh, Ricky Reel in the beginning and then carrying out a proper investigation are actually spying on the family because it's, they are doing a justice campaign. So, you know, look, the, you know, Ricky Reel's mother, myself, the Stephen Lawrence family, uh, other campaigns that we've had, the Blake Beaches family, are part of the undercover police inquiry at the moment. So the, Theresa May has admitted when she was a prime minister that we were being spied on. What we were being spied upon for? We were just fighting mm. and justice campers. We weren't violent. They're family justice campers arguing with the police to have a proper investigation. Ricky Reel, you know, an 18-year-old boy just, you know, gets abused runs for his life and dies. And you get spied upon? Yeah. I mean, I find that case really quite harrowing, especially because that case is very close to home to me, Suresh, because I'm actually from the borough of Kingston. All right. uh, my mother, when we first moved to this, um, to the, to this part of the world in the early 70s, worked in, in Bentles in, in one of their back offices. Mm -hmm. And when I was a boy, I mean, I, I, I went drinking along the riverside there where he died. Where he was, I believe, was he pushed in to the river? Well, he ran, he ran. Yeah. So he chased and ran. We don't know whether he was pushed in. I mean, they never yeah. did it properly. Yeah. yeah, so now I remember the bankers because I went with Sukhdev every day with other people um, from 14th of October. She, I mean, he went missing on the 14th, so she rang me on the 15th. I mean, she, the other thing she rang me is she used to work, she used to work as a homeless person at the Hansville Council. And I've taken one of my clients to Hansdorf and I gave her a hard time because she was a council officer. Uh, <laughs> and I was fighting for her. She remembered my name and said, if something happens to me, I'm going to ring you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just saying it. But, um, and when I rang, she rang me and said, my son's missing. And I said, how long? And she explained the situation. We went straight away and I rang the police in section 
I remember going to John McDonald's surgery because he's the local MP. Mm. And I brought him home and he's been helping the family ever since, you know. It's such a pivotal case and we should be proud of people like Sukhdev. She's a, she's a, she's a hero in our community, but recognizing those kind of people, you know, just like the Lawrence's have recognized, you know. Absolutely. And for some reason, Asians, Asian community struggles um, are never really uh, recognized in the same way as other struggles are. And, and we need to create, we need to, we need to create that balance where people's, people's efforts and their commitment and their tenacity and their passion um, and the injustices they suffer uh, and the history that our community, the Punjabi and the South Asian communities have in this country yeah. is, is, is taught to the newer generation because we, we fought hard, um, we won, but we still have a long, lot of black battles to fight, you know, so. Yeah, just quickly on Ricky Real, I just wanted to say that, you know, everything you said is just so, so apt and so powerful. And you're right about us telling our own stories and the wider world understanding and recognizing what we have done and how hard we have fought. And I don't you, I guess you know that Ricky has a plaque at the Golden Temple, which his family must have placed there. I mean, it's circular, this history. It, it, I mean, they, they placed a plaque at the Golden Temple in memory of him, which just, you know, it's, it's just, it, we haven't lost those connections. We, we are British and we are Asian and we our story should be told. But so just tell us about what the Southall Monitoring Group is doing in the modern age. How you how do you operate? Um, what what barriers or do, do you still find? And, and just how do you see the world as, as it is today? Okay, so we are no con we no longer called the South Monitoring Group. We call the Monitoring Group because after the Lawrence case, the amount of uh, clients we had out of South or nationally was so huge. So from '99 onwards, when the inquiry recommendations was announced, we were contacted by about 800 families across the country, and so we. We have an operation and office in Southall as well as in central London, and we have different kind of satellites office across the country which give free advice. Most of the activities do we do are not are not funded. We have only four workers, um, but we have we provide advocacy service, which is casework and representation service for anyone uh, who suffers racially motivated or religiously motivated hate crimes. We provide advice and assistance to anybody who has any policing problems, civil rights problems, um, from somebody from the time that somebody stopped and searched to arrested, to charged, to even being in prison. The, there are some charges that, that there are appeals with lodge. We deal with a lot of issues uh, to do with international human rights cases. So um, I worked on the 1984 commission, which was looking at the massacre of Sikhs in Kirlokpuri after uh, Operation Blue Star. Uh, so the Southern Monitoring Group um, assisted people who were killed in Gujarat in 2002. Uh, a number of them were British citizens, the Dark family in that place. So, 
uh, oh. actions against uh, crimes against humanity against uh, the then chief minister of 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 Gujarat, Narendra Modi. I actually went to Gujarat and served an order against him, and now he's the prime minister. So, um, wow. we have uh, we've created different projects. One of them is called the Vaz Network, which strives for a secular um, and anti-authoritarian, anti-communal India. You know, uh, it communal politics and how the right-wing authoritarian political parties like BJP and its Hinduatta family are creating a Hindu state is totally alien to what we believe in. Um, so we, and, and we, so it's for us, the, it's really important that we have an international human rights standard and also that matches with a standard in this country for civil and racial justice stuff. Um, um, so we we can we do campaigns on different cases. So at at the moment we have a case which is very similar to a case in of the Stephen Lawrence family called Christopher Capasa, a young thirteen year old who was pushed into the river. You know, it reminds you of Ricky Rio, but yeah, um, uh, in in Wales in in Mount Ash, um and the, you know um, the. And originally, the police said it was an accident. Then we got involved. We created and we forced a new police investigation, a new murder inquiry. That police service decided that there were sufficient charges for manslaughter. The Crown prosecution in February this year agreed that the person who pushed him should be charged with manslaughter, and the prosecution will be successful. But they decided that it's not in the public interest to charge that person, which is scandalous. Oh. If yeah. you have, if, I mean, this is the long life of a 13-year-old boy. And uh, so we are going to judicially review that decision and ask for an inquiry in the same we did, in the same way we did the law and stuff. We, are, we, so we are a casework agency, a campaigning agency. We work on hate crimes. Um, uh, we work nationally, although we're only funded for uh, on a London-wide London basis. We've never said no to people if people have real problems. Uh, out of the 347 cases we have from April to June, about 20% of them are actually from, uh, I was looking at the figures of people who are from South Asian Punjabi background, from people living in Hayes to people living in Hounslow to people living in East London. Um, you've seen an increase of racism against the South Asian community, not just against Chinese and African Caribbean community. So uh, it's remind, it reminds you of what's happening in, in, um, in the 1970s. But in terms of strategic differences we want to make, we think that the government agenda at the moment is, um, is, is flawed. Um, yeah. And instead of implementing the Lawrence recommendations because some of the problems that we find in terms of police response and the CPS response to hate crimes isn't about the legislation, it's actually about the implementation of policies that have already been devised and agreed and recommended. They don't yeah. simply implement them at all. They don't recognize them or they don't have the resources to do it. But I think there is other strategic issues. So some, one of the things that we are really concerned about is how the new 
um, commission that the government has set on racial disparity and ethnic disparity is going to be managed and run. We think that uh, it should be much more powerful, much more open, and much more transparent than it is. We think that rather than looking at the scope of the disparities and created a remedy for them in, a, in, a, in an objective way, the appointment of the chair called Tony Searle is totally wrong. So we've actually sent a pre-action letter to the prime minister and we are going to judicially review his decision because we think people who don't believe in institutional racism cannot be in the leadership position of an inquiry that denying institutional racism is simply not objective, so it loses the credibility. So for yeah. us, the way that the government is looking at the notion of systemic forms of racism against Asian, African, Caribbean, and migrant communities is very pivotal. But we have a vision for the future. We think that um, we can only get stronger if we build alliances um, with different communities and actually have much more unified voices within our own communities, you know? Um, yeah. And rather than being fractured and atomized on kind of identity politics or, or religious spaces, we should be actually coming together on the issues of race and racism. And we, we, we want to forge a coalition which is so powerful that we can't, we can't, we've just taken for granted or the, the lessons that uh, that have been, yeah, you know, the, the lessons that we have learned are not um, discarded, or the gains that we have made, yeah, are, are not replaced. You know, so in this period, with the growth of the far right and authority and right on a global basis, from Modi to Trump to Berlusconi, to the growth of fascism in Europe and even the politics of our government. We really need to unify our forces on a local and national level. It's pivotal, pivotal that we do that. But at a micro level, we need to learn from each other and we need to come together of people who are working in hate crimes, but not dismantle the notions of anti-racism um, that, that have been so important. And in that history, Udham Singh, Bhagat Singh, Chagar, you know, Sekhon, uh, and real are as important as, you know, Stephen Lawrence, um, Michael Manson, and all other victims of racism in this country, you know? I mean, that's just so well said and completely endorse what you said and wish you all the best and more power to you in, in carrying on with your work and bringing this coalition of, of uh, interested people and groups together. Um, and thank you so much for um, sparing so much time with us today, Suresh. Um, I think people thank listening you. to this podcast will, will learn so much and hopefully be empowered to, to uh, carry on the fight. And if I can just hand over now to Hadeep just for a few more, uh, a couple of closing questions and remarks. And just thanks again, Suresh. No, no, thank you. It's a pleasure talking to you guys. Thank you, Herbaksh. Um And Suresh, yeah, I mean, I kind of blown away by some of the stories that you've told us, really, and the struggles that you faced. And I mean, it, there's no question that the work that you've been involved in is 
has created a pivotal change for for a generation um and um i really liked how you described sort of southall as a beacon of asian resistance i think you know that certainly something the stories that i grew up with it kind of resonates with me very much so and i i grew up in southall so um yeah. you know i um i was a a little baby um and then moved moved out so i you know that's very close to my heart um i guess you know mo moving to a slightly different dimension um uh, for the for the Sikh community at least and others um who are perceived to be muslim um 911 was also a, a very kind of critical sort of juncture in the history of um, racism or if you like um, anti-Muslim hate crime or it could be termed Islamophobia which is slightly nebulous uh, term um, and clearly in, in America the Sikhs were murdered the first person to be killed in retribution as you know for 9-11 was a Sikh gas station owner in Arizona um, in the UK we've fared slightly better um, however um, in 2015 there was a an attempted beheading of a Sikh dentist in Wales which was a revenge attack for Lee Rigby uh, by a member of a, a neo-Nazi organization um, and we've also had um, which was less high profile um, but there was a, a pig's head thrown in the driveway of a former government minister uh, Palmjit Singh Danda um, and there's been beatings and stabbings um, in the UK as well um, and quite regularly reference to Sikhs as bin Laden um, uh, reference to them as Taliban, ISIS, things like this. I mean, there was a case very recently where um, a racist neighbor had referred to his Sikh women who were living next door to him as ISIS slags and bitches, things like that. I mean, it's horrific. Fortunately, they had the strength and conviction to get this guy to court and he was um, uh, sentenced for, for that. Um, one of the things that we're doing as part of this catch project, um, we've, we've made these guides um, for the community to help signpost them and give them the right information about where to go to if they're a victim of a hate crime. Um, and as you may know, we've we've included um, the monitoring group as one of the uh, organizations we uh, feel that um, people in the community or victims can call and contact. Um, what kind of advice do you have for us as, as, as a, you know, based on all of all of this sort of um, the plethora of um, and pedigree of work that you've been involved in what advice do you have for us when it comes to this particular issue? I know you said that you you want to make communities united and you don't want to go down the rabbit hole of demarcation on, on this issue, but do you have any specific advice for Sikh victims of um, the backlash of Islamism, if you like? Yeah, definitely. Listen, although I think there should be unity, I also believe, and we have always believed in terms of the monitoring group and South monitoring group, our birth is in a very strong Sikh Punjabi community, and uh, fa the founders of this Punjabi monitoring are a mixture of Hindu Punjabis and Sikh Punjabis and Muslim Punjabis. So we're not going to shed away our identity because we have a political principle. The principle is not about not recognizing our identity. It's about the paramounts of identities in terms of a political struggle. That's all it is. It's nothing to do with that. And, you know, the first case I ever did as a South monitor. It wasn't a case in South Wales, it was actually in Leamington of a Sikh woman being burnt oh in a as a Sikh woman, not okay. even as a Muslim coming out of a Gurdwara. So there's a history of anti-Sikh hate crimes in this country, which isn't recognized or acknowledged properly. And sometimes it's um, mistaken as anti-Islamophobia, etc. when 
and, and, and I don't think we should define it on the basis of how perpetrators see ourselves uh, as Islamic. Uh, they see it as us as other, and sometimes they don't know the difference between Sikh and Muslim, yeah. but that should be relevant. Um, Sikh identity and concepts are very important in terms of living uh, a different cultural life, but also integrating within our country that we live in, as long as there's no racism and equality and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think my advice to you is keep up the work. We will definitely build alliances with you guys if you, that's Thank what you. you want. Absolutely. Uh, we, we can train, um, empower people who are working within Sikh communities um, to recognize and become advocates on hate crimes and policing issues, which is very, very important. Uh, it's just that we don't uh, see ourselves as just working in one community. We want to work in any community that as a monitoring group. That's, that's the difference. Um, and whether Sikh people come to us or Muslim people come to African Caribbean or whoever it is, even migrants who have only been here for two days, it doesn't matter how long they've been, the suffer injustice will help them. We don't have that notion. So we are willing to, if you want any assistance from us, uh, we are prepared to give you that and create time for it. But more importantly, do not, do not ever give up about telling the stories of how Sikh communities are suffering discrimination. Hate crimes are just uh, a series of patterns which includes race discrimination. Don't separate it from institutional racism. The, 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 there are two kinds of racism we've suffered, the racism that kills and the racism that discriminates. Sometimes the impact is just as bad depending on how far and how deep that forms of risk discrimination are on community. And when you deal with hate crimes, be conscious about statutory agencies and how they would respond to. So always work for, on behalf of the victims and use any strength and resources you have to put the pressure on if you're necessary. Don't just rely on what they say they're gonna do. Test them and hold them to account by following the policies that exist and the procedures that exist. You know, and make sure that Sikh community is empowered and is informed about what their rights are in this country. Really critical. Um, um, and I think, you know, what's going to happen is post COVID, because of the hit that the economy is going to have, racism is going to grow. And it's going to impact on the Sikh community like any other communities. Um, but the unemployment rate, the poverty levels, I mean, one of the things that we've been doing in COVID period, I didn't talk about it, as the South Monitoring Group, is we've linked up with other projects like the South Community Alliance and the Youth Foundation. And we've been uh, organizing food parcels and delivering them on Mondays and Thursdays to people. The amount of poverty I've seen among Sikh households and Muslim households is staggering in West London. Staggering. I know Gurdwara has tried to help, um, but we, we are not reaching the people. So if you are going to create something on hate crime specifically, be conscious, if you want to build their trust, that you also create a holistic uh, support mechanism as a C community for them and use other alliances that you have to do that. It's really okay? good advice. Um, really uh, important to do that. No, thank and you. That's very, very good advice. 
otherwise you're just firefighting on a daily basis and putting a plastic bag on the cause on the on not on the causes but on the impact that's taking place so it's a long-term struggle you may win one case one you know a period of short time remember that hate crime victims have a pattern it's not just one incident so just like a woman suffering domestic violence she she normally according to statistics data goes through something like 13 incidents or 36 incidents sorry before they reported our statistics show that most race victims or hate crime victims in our communities suffer something like 13 times before they even report to the police and yeah. then they come to us after reporting to the police so if you have a a kind of a zero to ten measurement of a continuum kind of uh, cycle, they've come to us after number ten when they've lost confidence. They've already accepted that they'll be abused and they can't do anything about it. So your initial response to them is really, really important. So if you are okay. doing hate crime, um, remember that you have to act in speed. You have to look at the safety and you have to be sensitive to their needs. The three S's for the Sikh community are really important. Sensitive, safety, speed. Thank you ever so much for, um, for, for your time, Suresh. And I know that um, uh, Habaksha is, is, um, is still on the line. So I don't know if you want to close the interview, Habaksha, or have you got anything else to, to add? To no, I think Suresh, Suresh, thank you again. Just um, what, what a tour de force um, of an interview, this um, podcast, this has been. Uh, thank you for everything you've done. Thank you for the, the passion you've you've um, shown in this podcast and the work you have done over the the course of your life, and for pointing the way forward for <laughs> us and for other organisations. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. Thank you.